Amen. Um, as we're in this series this month on prayer and talking about how to increase the presence of our prayer lives, how to make it better. Um, I've been thinking all month about how I pray, and I hope you've been doing the same. We look at the frequency of our prayers. Frequency is one thing, but how are you doing on the depth of your prayers? How deep in prayer do you really go? And I hope that these these messages this month help you determine how you can go deeper in prayer with God. Amen. So today, when I look at the text of Psalms 90, and we're going to walk through that, that entire 17 verses, uh, I promise you that we will get done before noon. Amen. Now, we'll be done way before that. But um, Psalms 90, and today we want to talk about making prayer personal. Making prayer personal. Now, as we look at this 90th number of the Psalms, this Psalm is a personal prayer of Moses. Moses writes these words while he and the children of Israel are in a desert place. Anybody in here ever been in a desert place in your life? Amen. 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 A desert place is that place of dryness. It's, it just seems like there's nothing nourishing in a desert place. I'm always amazed when I watch the, the animal channel and those kind of things now, uh, and I see animals that live in the desert. And I was thinking to myself, man, how tough is it to live every day of life in the desert? So I want to set that, that, that tone for you today, set the context of Moses writing this psalm and praying this prayer in and from a desert place for he and the children of Israel. It's believed as they wandered in the desert, that Moses was pondering the gravity of their circumstances brought about by their own disobedience. We get in desert places many times of our own doing. Amen. Amen. Well, I knew it wasn't going to be too many on that one, but. And so Moses is reminded as he prays this prayer of the sovereignty, majesty, and dominion of God. And as we navigate the nuances and the intricacies of developing a healthy prayer life, it is critical that we also understand our circumstance. We need to understand the gravity of sin's weight upon our lives and upon the lives of those whom we love, and we need to understand the gravity of sin's weight in our world. Sin destroys. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, sin destroys. Now look at the other neighbor and say, neighbor, but God restores. 
Amen. Amen. Sin destroys, but God restores. Therefore, as we consider the need for prayer to be personal, let us briefly examine what that means. How does prayer become personal? And the other question I would ask, shouldn't prayer always be personal? But you might be surprised at how so many times we pray such impersonal prayers. And I'm going to illustrate it like this. The simple definition of the word personal is that which is of or relating in some way to a person. As we consider how to pray, most of us might be able to emphatically say that our prayers are always personal. In fact, they are so personal that they usually begin and end with everything of or relating to us. Yet is this the manner by which we should pray? Is prayer personal simply by making it about us? How many times do we pray just the things that we want, the things that we need? The things that we're asking God to do for us. No doubt there are some prayers of which we pray that focus upon our circumstances. However, I would suggest that the effective personal prayer focuses first upon the most important person. It is of or relating to the person to whom we pray. And that is God. Amen? If you want your prayers to be personal, make your prayer about God first. Prayer is about God more than it is about any of us. And that's a tough thing to, to, to navigate and to, to, to uh, let soak in because maybe for so long we've been praying about ourselves. And you look at me and say, Pastor, shouldn't I, shouldn't I pray about my situation? Shouldn't I pray about my circumstances? Absolutely. But remember what we said about prayer. Prayer is an act of worship. Amen. And if in my prayer I'm spending all my time telling God about how hard my situation is, telling God about how tough it is in my life, and telling God who to get. <laughs> God, get them coworkers. You know they need you, Lord. They ain't saved. (laughs) I'm really not worshiping God in prayer if I'm doing all of those things. And so so prayer becomes first and foremost this act of worship. And it's really about who God is in our lives. To illustrate this point, let us travel through this prayer psalm of Moses and experience the personal nature of this prayer. Let us pay careful attention, my brothers and sisters, to the relational aspect of the connection between the one praying, who is Moses, and the one to whom he prays, who is God. Moses had, by most accounts, a very interesting personal relationship with God. Moses and God were buddies. 
Moses and God had this, this relationship that it, 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 when you see it in Scripture, it, it's nowhere before that that you see that kind of relationship. Even Abraham and God had dealt with him. All of that, God and Moses had a special bond. Let me illustrate it like this. When Moses receives his call, there's fire in a bush, but the bush isn't burned up. Huh? (laughs) You know that story, right? And in that experience, Moses asked God the question, who shall I say is sending me? And God says, I'm going to tell this man my name. He think I'm playing. And Moses, he says, Moses, you tell them that I am, that I am, is sending you. You tell, I wish I had a few people here that knew him as I am. I am that I am. He is the great I am. Not I was, not I used to be. See, we're the, we're the I used to be. My brother Kevin loved to talk about how, what he used to do. Amen, somebody? Don't y'all tell Kevin I said that. I, we all sit around and we do that, don't we? We talk about what we used to be. Man, I used to run fast. I used to play basketball. Some of y'all, I used to stay up all night long, but not no more. <laughs> not any longer. And so we talk, we're the used to be's. God's the I am. I am that I am. So God, God, now watch this now. As this relationships develop, God uses Moses to lead his people from Egyptian slavery. And he uses Moses as this instrument of his power. So here's this one man, this one man, Moses got the, 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 the moniker, the great deliverer. This one man, God uses him as an instrument of his power. And he says, you go in and tell Pharaoh, I said, let my people go. And you go in there and you tell him boldly. And Pharaoh, you know the story, hard in his heart. And ten times God had to prove to Pharaoh that he was indeed the great I am. Now as this relationship goes on, they leave Egypt. And and God gives Moses now these ten laws by which to shape his people. The ten commandments. God says, Moses, come on up here to the mountain. You and I need to have a conversation. We need to talk. Moses goes to the mountain, and God gives him these Ten Commandments on tablets written by the hand of God himself. Make no mistake, Moses wasn't up there with a hammer and a chisel dictating or taking dictation from God. He wasn't doing that. God wrote on the tablets and gave them to Moses. I tell you, it's a special relationship. And then we see, as this thing goes on, God allows Moses to see something that no one else had ever seen before. Moses says, God, I want to see your face. God says, Moses, you don't know what you're asking. That's suicide, man. (laughs) For no flesh can see my face and live. But because we are friends... And because, Moses, I really believe that you have this personal relationship with me, here's what I'm going to do. In Exodus 33, 18 and 20, 18 through 20, Moses said, please show me your glory. 
And he said, God said, I will make all my goodness. Watch this now. All my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Hallelujah. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But God said, you cannot see my face. For no man can see my face and live. So God related to Moses in this very personal manner. So God says, here's what I'm going to do, Moses. There's a, there's a rock here and there's a little cleft in the rock. And I'm going to make all my goodness pass and all my glory pass before you. But because I need you to still do some things and it'll kill you if you see me, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. Somebody getting ready to get a breakthrough right here. There are some things that God will do for you that will put you in a hiding place. Oh, if you was getting this, you'd really be shouting right now. He will put you in a hiding place so that he can work out whatever situation you have. Hide me in the cleft of the rock. And so God hides Moses and lets Moses see the back part of his glory. And the Bible said that Moses came down from the mountain and people were like, they were afraid. You look different. Watch this now. When you have experienced the true glory of God in your life, there's going to be some changes in you. People are not going to recognize you. You've been in the glory of the Lord. You've been in the presence of God. You ought to leave here today from this mountaintop experience. And somebody ought to say something different about you today. I, I, don't, I can't put my finger on it, but, but you look a little different. Because you've been in the glory of the, of the Lord. So God, God related to Moses in this remarkable manner. And, and Exodus 33 and 11, the A part of that verse says... Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, that doesn't mean that God actually literally spoke to him face to face, but it's a euphemism to help us understand the conversational and depth of the relationship between God and Moses. Can you imagine how deep that relationship is with God when God just said, Moses, what you doing? Man, I just called to see how you're getting along. Just a depth of a relationship God had with Moses. And so, and so I wanted to set that context for you so you can understand as Moses begins to pray this prayer, he prays from this depth of relationship that recognizes each person's role. See, uh, any good quality relationship, every person has to recognize their role. Huh? See, see, Danielle wouldn't allow Kendall to come in the house and act like she does. He's out of his role. Hmm? Could you imagine Kendall, as handsome a man as he is, coming in the house, trying on Danielle's clothes? That, that's just not going to work. <laughs> Danielle would be like, baby, that's not going to work. You are, you're not in the right role here. 
And so, so everybody needs to recognize their role. Husband has a role. Wife has a role. There's a role that, so God, God said, Moses, we all, we all know our role. And Moses knew that in his relationship with God. He was so incredibly connected to God that he never really lost who he was in God. And so here we, here we have this, this relationship. And it's clear that this relationship between God and Moses shaped the prayer life of Moses. For each believer, this raises one very important question. Is your prayer life ineffective because your relationship with God is impersonal? Let me say that again. Is your prayer life, Pastor, I've been praying and praying and praying, and I can't seem to get a breakthrough. Is your prayer life ineffective? Because your relationship with God is impersonal. It's not a personal relationship. You see God not as father, but you just see him as, you know, this cosmic deity off in the universe somewhere. And when you talk to him, you don't talk to him like a friend. Hmm? You try to impress him with your language. And I've told you many times, you can't impress the one that invented language with language. So let's look at this song and see four important elements that teach us how to make our prayer personal. First and foremost, prayer begins with recognizing a personal God. If you're taking notes, prayer Begins with recognizing a personal God. Recognize a personal God. Look at what 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 uh, Moses says in the first two verses here in Psalms ninety. It says a prayer of Moses, the man of God. He says, "Lord," that's the first thing of recognition. Lord, you never saw Moses call anybody else Lord. Lord, look at the power of that. I recognize who you are. You are my Lord. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. I recognize that you have not just been with us. You have not just carried us, but literally we have dwelled in you. You see the difference there? That dwelling place, that means where we have lived, where we have moved, and where we have had our being is all been in you. Even when we were in bondage. Watch this now. When your children were in bondage, we were still in you. The Egyptians thought we were in Egypt. But we weren't in Egypt. We were in you. The children of God have to recognize that no matter where your location is in the world, you are always in God. I wish I had somebody here. Always. Always. Look at somebody say always. On your worst day. I wish I had somebody here. Maybe I'm the only one that had a few worst days. But on your worst day, you are still in God. He is.
is our dwelling place from all generations. Every child of God, every child of God who he has redeemed is in him. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, you get a chance. He says, we are in Christ. And in him, we have all the blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We're not around Christ. We're not next to Christ. We're not in the vicinity of Christ. We are in Christ. And see, if you were getting this today, you'd really be celebrating because there are a lot of places you think you are where you're really not. You think you're in control. And the reason things are not working out is because you're too busy trying to be in this, this town called control. Oh, I'm in control. You're not in control. You ought to dwell on being in Christ. I'm in Christ. No matter what they say about me getting laid off, I'm in Christ. No matter what they say about the difficulties, I'm in Christ. No matter what happens in this world, I am in Christ. Lord, you've been our dwelling place for all generations. I live in you. In you I live, I move, and I have my being in Christ. So you got to recognize who God is and where you are. Look at what Moses says. He says, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before you built this earth, before you spoke and said, let there be, and there was. You were still God. God didn't become God because he created something. Let's get that straight right now. If God had never decided to make the world or never said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, he would still be God. Now, why is that liberating for you? Because if God decides not to give you what you want, he's still God. If God decides that you have to go through some hardship, he's still God. If God decides that at night your pillow gets stained with the tears of hurting heart, God is still God. If God decides that it's going to be a tough day, God is still God. He doesn't become God because he grants you something. He was God before you and will be God after you. When they put me in the ground, he'll still be God. Hallelujah. He's still God. So, we, so to make prayer personal, we have, to get, we have to get this idea and recognize who God really is. So we recognize him from being our dwelling place. We recognize that he is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So we understand that God is God. And he will always be and has always been God. Now the second thing to make prayer personal, personal prayer recognizes 
the finite nature of our human condition. Personal prayer recognizes that we are finite. We have a beginning and an end. The reason you celebrate every year your birthday is because you celebrate in your beginning. Amen? I was born on this day. I came into this world on this day. And for those of us who managed to put a number of those birthdays together in a row, <laughs> amen, each one gets more special. Amen. We're more appreciative of the days. When I was 18, I wasn't thinking about being 50. 50 was way old. I mean, way. I, <laughs> when I was 18, my father was, was 39 or something like I thought he was really old. Son, I'm going to be 40 next year. Dude, you are old. Man, 40, that's, woo. <laughs> and when he, when he turned 50, we had a celebration for him. And I was like, I put my arm around him and said, Dad, you're getting on up there now. I'm praying for you. <laughs> but when I turned 50, I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I feel good for 50. Ain't that right, Michelle Washington? We feel good, don't we, girl? <laughs> Michelle just had her 50th the other day. Amen. It's something to be 50 and not look 50. That's good. Amen. Praise God. And so we, we, we look at our days are finite. God operates in infinity. We operate in, in finite days. Look at what he says in, in, in verse 3. He says, you return man to dust. Now, that's, that's significant because it also says where you came from. If you're going back, that means you're already there. <laughs> Amen? I can't go back to any place I haven't already been. You know, you can't say, Pastor, you're going back to Anchorage, Alaska. I've never been there. I would be visiting there for the first time. But I, I can't go back someplace I haven't been. So the, Moses says in his prayer that you are returned. You return men to dust. And say, return, O children of man. Look at verse 4. He says, now, let me help you understand something. How, how infinite God is. And when, he, and when he says this, it jumps out at us how finite we are. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Or as a watch in the night. A thousand years as yesterday when it's gone. God doesn't operate in time and space like we do. We count minutes, seconds, minutes, hours, and, and days, and weeks, and years. God never has to worry about time. That's why I always kind of chuckle, and I love that song, He's an on-time God. That whole on-time thing is for us. <laughs> Let, let's understand that right now. God ain't never looked at his watch and said, oh, well, I guess it's time for me to do something. Man, it's 8.30 already. I can't believe that. God doesn't operate in time. 
He has no, he has no need when you everlasting to everlasting. What does a Seiko watch mean to you? <laughs> Means nothing. You know, we, I know God has to get a chuckle about how we treat time. I mean, really, if you, if you really think about it, God look at us and say, you think that you, you're in control of time? We have books, books and books, many books written on time management. You better manage your time. Let's manage time. And I get the point of that. But let's understand something. That has to make God laugh. How are you going to manage something that you cannot control? Has anybody in here been able to stop the clock? I, I, I referee basketball, and every time I blow the whistle, the clock stops. That's pretty cool. But that's the clock for the game. I can blow the whistle all day long, and I can't stop morning from becoming evening. <laughs> huh? I can't stop the clock like that. None of us can stop the clock like that. You can go get you some Grecian formula, <laughs> Rogaine, take a Zumba class, whatever you want to do. But, honey, you can't stop that clock. Hmm? Only Miss Clairol knows for sure. I'm just, <laughs> I ain't starting nothing. I'm just saying. <laughs> a thousand years can go by in a blinking of an eye to God. He doesn't exist like us. Now look at verse 5. He says in relationship to humanity, he says, you sweep them away as with a flood. We are so fragile, so finite, that the waters can just carry us away. He says, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream. Now think about that. They are like a dream. It's almost as if they're not really real because we are so fragile. He says, they're like grass that is renewed in the morning. Nothing like going out in the morning, summer after summer morning, and you get out there and there's fresh smells of the grass and, and grass is standing up tall and all that stuff, getting the sunlight and all that. He said, it's renewed in the morning, and in the morning it flourishes and it has renewal, but in the evening, it fades and withers. And what the, what the comparison there is, is that in the morning of life, we have all of this energy. We're renewed. We have vim and vigor and all of that. But in the evening of life, son, go over there and get that paper for me. I, I got to walk over there. I'm not trying to walk any extra. Huh? Oh, yeah. How many people remember what it feels like that you used to run? Man, you was running everywhere. Just running. Just running. Now you're like, I'll get there in a minute. I'll be there. Just, just wait on me. I'm on my way. We move slower in the evening of life. And so, and so he says, we fade and we wither. Human life is fragile. We are born we age, and then we wither away. I was looking at a Facebook picture, some funny things on Facebook, I tell you that now. 
the picture of a lady. She must have been in her 70s, and she was a bodybuilder. And, you know, she's standing there like this, you know, and the muscles, and she's 72. I said, let me see her at 92. <laughs> we will wither. I don't care how hard you try, and I'm not telling you don't get exercise. Don't leave here today saying, Pastor said, I don't have to exercise. That's not what I'm saying. Some of us need to get started. I'm just saying. Did I say that out loud? I just. Inside words in, outside words out. I got to get that thing. The Bible says bodily exercise profits little. It doesn't say it doesn't profit at all. And so we we need, don't don't think I just, I'm saying don't exercise. What I'm saying is no matter what you do, your body starts deteriorating from the minute you are born. From the minute you are conceived, we start this process called dying. And it and it and it just goes on. You will not live forever. We get old, we wither away. Look at verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. Moses recognized that the judgments of God ruled the life of men. In verse 10 he says, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. I told you sin had a great effect. They are soon gone and we fly away. Again, Moses recognizes the limits and the fragility of human life. So when we understand in this personal prayer paradigm, to make prayer personal, you have to understand how finite we are, how fragile life is. Let that shape what you ask God for. That those things that you want. Understand we're fragile. We're finite. And some of us don't need to be rich. Now I know that's a shock to your system. But some of us right now where we are. If God gave you great riches. You would show out. Hmm? Not me. Yes you. You would. You be down there at the Rolls Royce dealership. I came in here to pay cash. Here's a couple hundred thousand. Riding around in Gary with a Rolls Royce. Let all the friends see you. Going up and down 169th and Hammond. Riding around through the hood. All those places. I want to be seen. You can't stand to be rich. God said, I have to keep you under control. I got to teach you how to live by faith. Because every time you get some money, you act crazy. Huh? <laughs> Look at somebody just tell them, not me. Now, yes, you, yes, you. <laughs> every time you get a little change, you start to think, I, oh, I got my taxes back. Oh, <laughs> Never mind that I lied on the tax in the first place. I, did I say that? I, I got to get this thing. <laughs> I got my check. I'm going to do something with that check. <laughs> I mean, the door could be falling off the church. You're like, oh, I got my taxes. I'm going on vacation. What about the, the gospel? What about the uh, pastor? Have at it. Oh, my goodness. 
<laughs> you gotta understand. We are finite. Now, now watch this now. The third thing here is personal prayer contains recognition and confession of sin. It's because of who God is we recognize in that personal prayer. It's because we are finite. The very next thing should happen as you get into this personal prayer is that you ought to confess your sin. We need to confess. Now look at what Moses is saying in verse 7. He says, for we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you. God says, "Ah, your iniquities is sitting right here in front of me. Now think about that. You think you had some secret sin. I'm talking about that secret sin you think that nobody know but you. God says, it's right here in front of me. I don't care how well you tried to hide it. It's in front of me. Every sin you commit is right in my face, says the Lord. Every lie we've told, every evil thought that we had the audacity to think, every action that we perform that is not pleasing in the eyes of God is right in God's face. He doesn't miss anything. When you flip somebody the bird in your moment of road rage. I know nobody in here does that. I'm just. He doesn't miss that. When you talk about somebody because they dress a little different than you. Or what you might wear. Or what you might used to could wear. God sees that. (laughs) When you you sit in church, (laughs) this one's funny. (laughs) And you say, I wish that preacher would get out of my business. God sees that too. <laughs> so, so he says, he says, your secret sins are wrought right in the light of God's presence. Personal prayer recognizes that thing, those things that invoke God's wrath. Personal prayer recognizes that there is sin in my life that invokes the wrath of God. God despises evil even as he loves us. God hates evil. He despises every evil thought that we have. And so we need to learn how to repent and not be audacious and say, well, since I'm covered in the blood of Jesus, I don't have to repent anymore. I came to tell you that, yes, you are covered in the blood, but you still need to say, God, I am sorry for the foolishness that I do. Repentance restores fellowship. And so, look at verse 9. 
He says, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. What Moses is saying is that even though we think we're going to be around a long time, at the end, it's just a sigh. He says in verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. Now, that sets the context for verse 12. Look at verse 12. So now, because of all of that, teach us to number our days. Teach us to consider that the way in which we live is important to you. Teach us to know that we are to live reflective of your glory. We are to live showing the world who Jesus Christ really is. That's what it means to be redeemed. That's what it means to be set free. God didn't send Jesus to the cross so you can live as hellish as you lived before. Did I say hellish? He didn't send Jesus to the cross to suffer and to die on our behalf so that we could we could just do whatever we wanted. Live according to our flesh. He sent Jesus to the cross to die so that we could be saved from the power of sin and the wrath of God. So that we could show forth his glory into all the world. Now watch this. Sister Christian, brother Christian. When you out there in the world acting crazy. And then... Two minutes later on your Facebook, after you done cussed everybody out, you put at the end of your, your cuss out, but God is good. What kind of crazy mess is that? You done called everybody everything but a name of God. I'm going to get them so-and-so's on it, but God is good. What are you talking about? See, James said the tongue, and I think he meant Facebook too, is an unruly evil. <laughs> Blessings and cursings come from the same tongue. And so, so God is saying you need to understand and learn how to repent. For some of us, saying sorry is a hard thing. We're learning in kingdom man how important it is for us to be men of God, men, of, men who, are, who are leaders, men who, who reflect God's glory. And in that, we have to learn as men how to say, I'm sorry. Come on, men, help me. Don't. All right. We have to, you know, as men, we, it's tough sometimes. You know, your wife be right. <laughs> you know she right. You don't want to say she's right. But the truth is, she's right. You wrong, and you don't want to say, I'm sorry. So we start off something like this. Well, if you hadn't, uh, you started this. <laughs> so saying sorry is tough for some of us. And I'm saying to you that repentance is a, is a huge, huge opportunity for us to restore fellowship with God, to let God know just how deeply we know he's affected by sin and how much we appreciate the stripes of Christ on our behalf. So he says, teach us a number of days. And here's the purpose of that teaching, so that we may get a heart of wisdom. 
We need to learn God's lesson and its purpose. And the purpose is to get wisdom. So you don't repeat the same mistakes over and over again. How many over again, folks, I got in here? Just throw your hand up. You done done the same thing over and over and over again. And, and we keep repeating it because we're not getting this wisdom. So we say, Lord, teach us how to number our days. Teach us how, how finite we really are so that we can learn wisdom before we leave this world. We can walk in your wisdom and not according to our own flesh. The last thing, the last thing I want to share with you here is that Personal prayer recognizes God and recognizes our finite, our finite nature. Personal prayer also uh, uh, recognizes the need to confess our sin. But here's the last thing. Personal prayer recognizes that living to please God in this world requires God's favor. Now, some of y'all going around all the time talking about favor ain't fair. Favor ain't fair. You raising hell, talking about favor ain't fair. <laughs> Let me help you understand something about God's favor. God's favor is not given arbitrarily. God's favor is not given just because you say you got it. Watch it. I'm going to let that marinate for a minute. Now, I, I'm not talking about the blessing of being a child of God and the adoptive situation that happens with God adopting you into his family, that, that favor we have through Christ. But I'm talking about this favor y'all talking about. You know, the favor you go in there, you act however you want and talk about, I got favor. The boss can't fire me, I got favor. Well, you keep being late for work and see what happens. Huh? I'm, I'm walking in favor. I get to work whenever I feel it. No, no. That's not how favor works. Watch this now. Personal prayer, when you pray, you, you know that living in this world requires God's favor. Look at verse 14. He says, satisfy us in the morning, in the early part of our lives. While you are young, in the morning of your days, be satisfied with God's steadfast love. Now, to be satisfied means that you're not hungry for anything else. When you satisfy with God, you're not hungry for the world. Oh, see, one reason why we as believers keep trying to, to live to live in the world and live worldly ways is because we're not finding our satisfaction in Christ. What, why are you not satisfied with God? Why is Christ not enough? Ask yourself that question. Why do you have to go to the club to try to find satisfaction? Why? You like the Rolling Stones. You just can't get no satisfaction. I'm <laughs> Wherever you go, you can't be satisfied. You ought to be satisfied with Christ. Look at somebody and say, neighbor, be satisfied with Christ. Satisfy us, Lord. Fill me up. Make me full. So I want no more with your son, Jesus Christ. I want to be satisfied with Christ. Single ladies, you don't need to have any old man. Be satisfied with Christ. Any old male. 
Men, you don't need to go around to every woman you see trying to, trying to holler at, hey, baby, hey, baby, what's going on? Be satisfied with Christ. It's in Christ that I live and I move and I have my being. In him, I'm satisfied. Feed me, Lord, till I want no more. Bread of heaven. Bread of heaven. Feed me till I want no more. Till I'm full and I can't stand no more. If I eat one more bit of Christ, I'll bust wide open. I wish. That's what I want. I want to be satisfied with Christ. Satisfy me in the morning. I must learn while I'm young to experience and, and draw near to his satisfying love. Look at verse 15. Make us glad. For as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Moses says, Lord, we have been unruly. We've deserved the affliction. But because of your great mercy, for every day of trouble, give me a day of favor. I wish I had somebody. For every day of hardship, give me a day of grace. For every day of disobedience, give me a day of your love. Let me just dwell in you. I want to be satisfied. Make me glad. For all of my trouble, make me glad. Restore to us your favor. Look at, look at verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let them see. Let all see the works of your hands in this big world you have made. The world is big. There are things that God's doing around this world that we have no clue. We ought to be praying, God, keep moving in this big world. Keep moving in the desert. Keep moving in the tropics. Keep moving in the Arctic. Keep moving in, in the South America, North America, every continent. Lord, keep on moving. Move on in Africa. Move on in Europe. All across this big world, Lord, just keep moving. Let everybody see the works of your hands. You see, what that means is that in all things, God, let people see the cross. In all things, let people see the cross. In China, where there are billions of people, let people see the cross. In Liberia, Africa, where they're suffering from Ebola, let people see the cross. In the nursing home right here in America, let people see the cross. On 55th and, Gar and Garfield Street over there in Chicago, where the gangbangers are walking up and down the street, let them see the cross. Let them see the cross of Jesus. Let them see your son hung high and stretched wide. Let them see, let them hear his voice. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Let them hear him say, right now it's finished. It's over. He has died for sin. Let them hear the gospel and believe it. Verse 17 now, this is where you really get to understand favor. After all of that, verse 17, I'll finish with this. Let the favor of the Lord our God. Moses says, let his favor be upon us. Let his favor 
be upon his children and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hand with all that it 